Welcome back to another episode of Beloved Books. I am your host, Heidi Vega. Thank you so much for listening. Today's episode will be the epic end to Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. So this is the second half of the Deathly Hallows. If you didn't get a chance to listen to the first half, please go back into the previous episodes and it will be there for you. So a little bit of a recap. The last that we had kind of gone over was the fact that Ron had come back to the group. Ron came back. And I know that we can easily focus on the fact that Ron had left the group, but the fact that he came back is awesome. And it shows his full character. The fact that he has made mistakes and he can make mistakes, but he can come back from them. So way to go, Ron. So in the second half, we will start with them going to see Xenophilius Lovegood to talk about what this symbol is that they keep saying everywhere. So before they get to see Xenophilius Lovegood though, Ron does update them on the fact that they can no longer use you know whose actual name because it has been tabooed. It has basically been a source that the Death Eaters have been using to catch those who are either you know, anti-Voldemort or pro-Harry Potter. So they've been using it as a way to catch people. So Ron just continues to tell them that anyone who says the name is trackable, quick and easy way to find, you know, order members. They do discuss the Doe Patronus again. And for a moment, Ron does kind of discuss, you know, what if it was Dumbledore that had sent the dough? And Harry reminds him that, you know, Dumbledore is dead and he's definitely gone and his Patronus was a phoenix, not a doe. So they go to the Lovegood home and it says on the door, the Quibbler editor, X Lovegood. Um, it also says, pick your own mistletoe. And it also says, keep off the dirigible plums on the front door, which is great. Or near the front door, I should say. So they say hello to Mr. Lovegood. He's not necessarily in, I guess, the most exciting mood, but um, they talk to him a little bit about, you know, we've been wondering about this symbol that we saw around your neck. And he asks, are you referring to the sign of the Deathly Hallows? And all three of them are completely flabbergasted. They don't know what that is. So once they start asking questions, Xenophilia starts talking about, you know, it's something that we believers talk about. It's the Deathly Hallows. And if you're a believer, then you seek the Deathly Hallows. And he asks if they are familiar with the tale of the three brothers. And Harry said no, but Ron and Hermione both said yes. And Hermione pulls out a copy of the Tales of Beetle the Bard, so that way she can read the story. There were once three brothers who were traveling along a lonely, winding road at twilight. And she goes into the fact that um, the three brothers had come across a treacherous river, and they decided to build a bridge 
then death shows up very upset and the three brothers then become susceptible to the charms i guess of death and they are rewarded for their magic and they each pick something from death to give them the oldest brother who was a combative man asked for a wand more powerful than any in existence the second brother had decided that he wanted to humiliate death and asked for the power to recall others from death and the youngest brother was the humblest and also the wisest of the of the brothers and had asked for something that would enable him to go forth from that place without being followed by death and death handed over his own cloak of invisibility so the first two brothers did not live for very long because according to the story um the eldest had gotten into a quarrel with another wizard and had kind of essentially given away how powerful he was and he was then later killed in his sleep while the second brother had gone very upset about bringing back his um, loved one and had decided to um, kill himself to join her so the eldest and the middle brother did not make it the youngest was the only one who actually made it through without necessarily drawing attention to himself so after the story is told um xenophilius actually gets a piece of paper and draws them the actual symbol bit by bit showing the elder wand straight line the stone to recall loved ones from the grave which is a circle and then uh, completely around it is a triangle which represents the cloak of invisibility. And at this point, Hermione gets very mad. I personally don't know why she gets so angry. I guess because she assumes that Mr. Lovegood is similar to Luna in the fact that they aren't always discussing things that are by and by illogical, perhaps. And she completely says that it's ridiculous and how can we possibly know that these things are real they can't be real and i can't prove that they don't exist this is you know silly and i i guess i understand but i just don't agree that she would be so against believing that these hollows would exist when you live in a world with giants and elves and goblins and wizards and witches like why would the hollows not be real i just think it's a little outrageous to think that hermione is that daft that she would not believe in this so um mr lovegood says that many of us questers believe that the peverils have everything to do with the hollows and it starts to essentially mean that they exist they were inherited from these real people the end so then uh, the three of them start to discuss, you know, like, which one would we want? Um, Harry, of course, already has an invisibility cloak, though they're not sure at this point that it is the invisibility cloak. Um, we, the reader, of course, know that that's true. And um, Harry doesn't really care so much about the one, though. He cares more about the stone, the resurrection stone, because he would be able to bring people back, which means that they could have Sirius, Mad-Eye, Dumbledore his parents to come back 
neither run nor Hermione smiled, but, according to Beetle the Bard, they wouldn't want to come back, would they? And so then they kind of forget that thought. Harry then goes up to Luna's bedroom and has kind of a sweet moment, just looking at her things and noticing that she has, you know, pictures of them on the wall with the names, with the word friends above them. And uh, the pictures of them were painted. And Harry felt a great rush of affection for Luna in that moment. And I just, I thought it was very, very sweet. And it would have been nice to see in the movie. Um, However, I completely understand why we, you know, can't have everything in the movies. Um, But then that kind of gets Harry thinking, like, something's not right. Something's wrong. And so Harry goes back downstairs and goes to where everybody's at and confronts Xenophilius Lovegood saying, I don't think Luna's been here for weeks, even though you said that she was going to be here soon with us. Um, Where is she? And why do you keep looking out the window? So then Mr. Lovegood explains that um, people had come and took Luna because of what he had been writing. And they said that they would hurt her unless, you know, I delivered you to them. So at that moment, Death Eaters do show up and Harry, Hermione, and Ron go upstairs. They then try to essentially show themselves before leaving Mr. Lovegood's house just to hopefully get like some kind of proof that, you know, he did technically um, commit to his word about trying to deliver Harry Potter so that way they don't hurt him too badly. Though, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't think that Death Eaters would really care to hurt him or to not hurt him, I should say. So they disapparate and are able to discuss further, you know, the hollows versus the Horcruxes. Maybe this is their change in mission. Maybe they should be looking over the after the hollows instead of the horcruxes and Hermione of course is still mad because she doesn't believe that this is the case she believes that Dumbledore told us to get the horcruxes we should focus on that and Harry for a second really thinks like maybe that's maybe I'm supposed to you know and the fact that the invisibility cloak was passed down to me that must mean that the Peveril brothers, the, you know, Ignotus Peveril was my ancestor and that I'm descended from the third brother and that, you know, it's in my family. So why not? And that's when he starts to think, what if the resurrection stone is inside the snitch? Now, of course, they don't know exactly how to get it out, but I mean, it's pretty spot on. Harry then tells the other two that Voldemort is after the Elder Wand. Ron then shows them the radio show that has been able to kind of keep in touch with the actual news instead of like the, you know, nonsense and propaganda that the Daily Prophet has been putting out. So um, they notice that Lee Jordan 
is essentially running the show, which is great to hear that he's doing okay. They listen to the show, um, which gives them a little bit more hope, especially when they discuss the fact that, you know, our faith continues with Harry Potter. We wish him well, especially them knowing that he's the chosen one. Um, but then after the show's over, they begin to talk a little bit more about the hollows and Harry slips up and says Voldemort's name saying Voldemort's after the Elder Wand. And Ron tells him, again, we can't say the name. We have to get out of here. You know, we either have to get out of here or put our protection spells back up because they're coming after us. And sure enough, within a couple seconds, they hear noises outside their tent and it is a shouting, yelling at them to come out of there with their hands up. We know you're in there. You've got half a dozen wands pointing at you and we don't care who we curse. So it's a complete mess. Hermione gets a spot of, um, you know, idea thought and kind of puts a spell onto Harry's face and he could automatically feel his face swelling rapidly under his hands as heavy footfalls surrounded him. So he starts to feel this like pain and itchiness coming from his face. So who do we meet? But Frenrir Greyback, some other Death Eater Snatcher people, um, and they begin to search the tent and search Hermione's bag and things. Um, they start looking at their names in the book, I guess, of unregistered um, Muggleborns or, you know, whatever. And, uh, Hermione gives Penelope Clearwater's name, which is true. She is Muggleborn. Um, Ron pretty much gives his Weasley, you know, actual name, which they, of course, they don't care that he's a pureblood because they consider him a blood traitor anyway. And Harry, of course, can't give his actual name. So he keeps giving these, you know, fake names. So instead of taking them to the ministry, they decide to take them to the Malfoys, to Malfoy Manor. And through his puffy eyelids, Harry saw Narcissa Malfoy scrutinizing his swollen face. Scapior thrust the Blackthorn wand at her and she raised her eyebrows. So they get uh, Draco to come closer and to see if this is them. Draco says that I can't be sure, you know, I can't be sure that this is Harry because look at his face. It's all messed up. So in a way though, I mean, Draco is essentially saving Harry's life by saying like, oh, I don't know if that is who it is. Uh, it could be, I guess. I don't, I don't really know. So good on Draco for not giving them away. Um, Bellatrix Lestrange then shows up and is asking what's going on here. What is happening? And she sees um, one of the Death Eater Snatchers holding the Sword of Gryffindor. And she freaks out and stupefies them and essentially trying to get this Sword of Gryffindor back from them. And her face is completely waxen. 
is what the book has said, that she's completely aghast. How, how could this happen? Oh, oh my gosh, how'd you get the sword? Um, and she gives it away that Snape had sent it to her vault at Gringotts. So it should be there. So why do you have it? So she decides to torture Hermione for some information and puts Ron and Harry into um, their dungeon, I guess, that they have in their house. And it is there that Harry and Ron find Luna and that that's where she's been. And they also see a goblin, um, Griphook, uh, as well as Mr. Ollivander. So this is where they have been this entire time. Uh, as well as Dean. Dean was also found there. So, um, I guess I know why they didn't put him in the movie, but I don't think it would have hurt. But, um, yes, so they're there. Hermione's getting tortured during this time. Then, um, Harry pulls out the little mirror piece and asks for help. We're in the cellar of Malfoy Manor. You know, please help us. And it is at that point that Dobby, the house elf, had just apparated where they were. And they're surprised considering that they weren't able to, you know, escape there. But again, the Malfoys not considering elf magic as a real threat or anything like that. So he's able to help them since he can operate in and out of that room. And Dobby says that Dobby has come to rescue you. Just so sweet, my Dobby. I definitely would say that Dobby's my favorite character. Harry says, Dobby, I want you to grab Luna, Dean, and Mr. Ollivander and take them to uh, Bill and Fleur's cottage on the outskirts of Tenworth. And so he takes them and then comes back. Now, also, meanwhile, um, Wormtail is... Wormtail had taken Griphook, the goblin, to go upstairs and essentially ask if it was real, the sword of Gryffindor, if it was a fake. He says it's a fake, but we, of course, as the reader, know that it's real. Um, but also, Wormtail comes to check on them again, and they essentially try to get past him. And Wormtail gets, I guess you could say, a moment of not weakness, but a moment of remorse, almost like a moment of true remorse. And his arm, I believe, really detects this kind of betrayal from, you know, Voldemort. And Voldemort was the one that gave him that arm with his magic. So he ends up choking Wormtail. The arm itself chokes him. So when you look at it, Wormtail chokes himself to death. And at one point they were trying to, um, release him from that arm, uh, strangling his neck. Um, but they are unable to. And Wormtail dies. I can't say that I really felt bad for Wormtail, but I guess, uh, more of like this was his comeuppance, you know, it was poetic, I guess, in a way, for him to die by his own hand, his Voldemort's hand, his Voldemort arm, whatever. But, um, so they're able to continue trying to escape, and they try to, you know, um, help Hermione, but Bellatrix ends up 
getting Hermione, you know, who's clearly unconscious from the torture, um, she has a knife to Hermione's throat. And um, that is when Dobby shows up and is dropping the chandelier in the middle of the room on top of uh, Bellatrix. Um, But she's able to get out of the way just in time. And um, Bellatrix uh, shouts at him when he pretty much takes away Narcissa's wand. And Bellatrix says, how dare you take a witch's wand? How dare you defy your masters? And Dobby shouts heroically that Dobby has no master. Dobby is a free elf. And Dobby has come to save Harry Potter and his friends. So they all kind of get each other to hold hands. And Dobby begins to disapparate. But just before they leave, Bellatrix throws her knife across the room. And it actually ends up vanishing with them. So they make it to Bill and Fleur's shell cottage. But then... Harry looks down at Dobby and notices that he couldn't stand still and he was swaying and Harry sees the silver knife that was in Dobby's chest. Now I hope I don't get a little choked up at this scene because every single time I read it I get a little choked up just to think about this elf who really gave his life for these people knowing that it was for the greater good and knowing that it was the right thing to do and I just I've not read many characters like Dobby it's very very rare to find a character so selfless and so giving and so brave like Dobby so Harry of course is completely upset and is holding him And is telling Dobby not to die. And the last words that Dobby says is Harry Potter. And with a little shudder, he becomes still. And his eyes were nothing more than great glassy orbs, sprinkled with light from the stars they could not see. And it's a moment where Harry is completely shattered and I think it shows again that Harry does not care that Dobby was an elf he cared that Dobby was his friend like that that was the biggest part of their friendship Dobby cared about Harry and Harry cared about Dobby it was like sinking into an old nightmare for an instant Harry knelt again beside Dumbledore's body at the foot of the tallest tower at Hogwarts. But in reality, he was staring at a tiny body curled upon the grass. Harry's voice was still saying, Dobby, Dobby, even though he knew that the elf had gone where he had, where he could not call him back. Bill then shows up and starts making um, suggestions about burying the elf, and Harry agreed. He then is able to see Voldemort 
punishing those that they had left behind uh, at Malfoy Manor. And um, his rage was dreadful, and yet Harry's grief for Dobby seemed to diminish it. So Harry's grief is still much stronger than Voldemort's rage. Harry then says that he wants to do it properly, not by magic. He wants to bury Dobby the right way. He starts digging with his bare hands with a kind of fury, relishing the manual work, glorying in the non-magic of it, for every drop of his sweat and every blister felt like a gift to the elf who had saved their lives. So he then sees Voldemort go into um, the topmost cell of Nurmengard and kills its occupant, of course, which we know is um, Grindelwald. And he gets the information that he needs. And he gets the information that he needs to... And he gets the information that he needs to get the Elder Wand. Harry places Dobby into the grave, arranging his tiny limbs so that he might have been resting. He forced himself not to break down as he remembered Dumbledore's funeral and the rows and rows of golden chairs in the Minister of Magic in the front row, the recitation of Dumbledore's achievements, the stateliness of the white marble tomb. He felt that Dobby deserved just as grand a funeral, and yet here, the elf lay between bushes in a roughly dug hole. Um, Luna suggests that they should say maybe a few words, and she pretty much gives like the most beautiful words, and I really wish that this had been in the movie. It would have been just so sweet. Uh, but I know it would have been just as painful for me to watch it as it was to read it. Um, so Luna says, Thank you so much, Dobby, for rescuing me from that cellar. It's so unfair that you had to die when you were so good and brave. I'll always remember what you did for us. I hope you're happy now. And the rest of them don't really know what to say, but, um, you know, thank you and goodbye. And Harry knows that it's the best that he could manage because Luna had said it all for him. And, um, Harry then tells the others, you know, do you mind if I stay here a moment? And it ends up being more than just one moment because he's of course completely brokenhearted just as I was brokenhearted to hear that Dobby didn't make it. Um, my heart still is so, I guess, I guess it's the fact for me that he didn't become free until meeting Harry Potter. And by this point, he had only been free for approximately five or six years. And then he dies, and it just... It just breaks my heart to think that he could have still had so much more freedom in his life yet to come. But I also know that Dobby gave up his life willingly for Harry and his friends. Harry then um, actually puts Dobby's headstone together 
and it says, here lies Dobby, a free elf. So Harry takes a little time to himself for a while before going back into the cottage, and then he goes and meets with um, Magripuck, and he talks about, you know, I need to break into a Gringotts vault, and we need your help to do it. And the vault specifically will be the Lestranges. And Griphook says, um, if there was a wizard of whom I would believe that they did not seek personal gain, it would be you, Harry Potter. Goblins and elves are not used to the protection or the respect that you have shown this night, not from wand carriers. Now, I think that there is definitely a prejudice that goblins might have towards wizards because of what's previously gone on with the goblin wars and such. But I think Grip, Grip Hook has a way to see that Harry is not in it for himself. He's in this for the greater good. At least I would hope. But he pretty much says that, you know, it's pretty much going to be impossible to do this. And that we really don't have a chance necessarily but at the same time you know he starts thinking about you know i i can do it for a price so they then um hermione ron and harry talk to mr Ollivander, who is completely you know grateful that um he was rescued because he surely thought that they would die uh, in that place um, so Harry starts talking to him about wands and Harry does bring up his personal wand that's still in pieces that he had carried in his pocket, I believe. Um, but Mr. Ollivander says that there's really no way of repairing it. Um, and that in general, um, you know, a wand has to be one for its allegiance, you know, to change. Like if a wand is one versus like stolen, it has a greater chance of its allegiance to be changed. And Harry asks, a person can still use a wand that hasn't chosen them though, right? And Mr. Ollivander says, yes, if you are any wizard at all, you will be able to channel your magic through almost any instrument. The best results, however, must always come where there is the strongest affinity between wizard and wand. These connections are complex, an initial attraction, and then a mutual quest for experience, the wand learning from the wizard and the wizard from the wand, pretty much explaining the relationship and how it's important. They then talk about the elder wand and how he had pretty much not intended for Voldemort to believe in, you know, that tale, but he did and that he was tortured and, you know, I had no choice but to tell him what I knew. And Harry says, I understand, um, but it didn't work. Mine still beat the borrowed one that he had even before, you know, the elder one that he has now. And Mr. Ollivander says, you know, I have never heard of this before. Your wand performed something unique that night, and the connection of the twin cores is incredibly rare. Yet why your wand should have snapped the borrowed one, I do not know. A lot of questions come up. So we go from this to Voldemort, who is awful and horrible and heinous and disturbs Dumbledore's grave and starts thinking his thoughts. 
Had the old fool imagined that marble or death would protect the wand? Had he thought that the dark lord would be scared to violate his tomb? The spider-like hand swooped and pulled the wand from Dumbledore's grasp. And as he took it, a shower of sparks flew from its tip, sparkling over the corpse of its last owner. So, completely horrible, but essentially not surprising that Voldemort would absolutely disturb a grave to get something that he wanted. So, Voldemort has the Elder Wand now. Um, Harry is then full of doubts about not going after the one himself. You know, Hatch, should he had gone and tried to get it. But, um, you know, Hermione tries to comfort him by saying, like, Harry, you would never do that. You would never disturb Dumbledore's grave. So, please, please don't blame yourself. They discuss the possibility of Dumbledore possibly still being alive or a ghost. Um, but then Harry knows that Dumbledore wouldn't have been a ghost. Um, seeing as that he wouldn't really have any unfinished business necessarily, I guess. He would want to, he would have wanted to move on. I, I do believe that. Griphook then agrees to help them to get into the Lestrange vault uh, in return for the Sword of Gryffindor. Um, Lupin then shows up and lets everyone know that his son has been born and is named Ted after um, Tonks' father. Um, Bill warns Harry about making promises to a goblin if you plan to break it, um, considering that goblins believe that everything goblin made belongs to them regardless of it being purchased. So he pretty much says... You know, Harry, if you made a promise to Griphook, I would not break it because they can be very vengeful. So they decide to get going to leave to go to Gringotts Bank. Um, for a moment, Harry looks over at Dobby's grave and he thinks about how he really did choose a beautiful resting place for him, but still wonders who sent him to their rescue. Um, they get to Gringotts, and at this point, Hermione has, um, drank Polyjuice Potion to look like Bellatrix Lestrange, um, but they get through the bank with the Imperious Curse because they're kind of asking them a little too many questions. As they head to the vault, there's a waterfall that takes away all enchantments, so Hermione looks like herself again. As they continue... They find a dragon there for protection of the vaults. And this poor dragon is just chained. It's been trained to expect people through pain. And there were visible slashes on the dragon's face. And I just, ugh, I just feel so bad for this poor dragon. Just, ugh. I love a good dragon. Love dragons so much. So I was definitely sad to know that this poor dragon is down there in the dark having to do work. So they get to the vault and start searching for the Horcrux. They accidentally touch some items though and they begin to multiply and burn their skin. Harry eventually finds the Horcrux but then they realize that Gripbook has completely left them to their own devices. You know, bye sucker leaving you. Um, things get a little crazy from there and Harry releases the chains from the dragon and they all jump on its back. 
It takes a while for the dragon to realize what's happened, but soon enough, it was able to break free with their help. So glad about that. Free yourself, dragon. Free yourself. The three of them then leave the dragon by a small lake, and Harry then has a vision of Voldemort. Voldemort finds out that the Horcrux is missing at Gringotts. He kills a lot of people at this time. He then starts to think of how Harry could possibly know about his Horcruxes. He clearly didn't feel the other ones when they were destroyed, and he also makes it known that Nagini is a Horcrux and that there is one at Hogwarts, which Harry had previously mentioned. He also truly feels that he's the only one who's discovered the secrets of Hogwarts. So in disbelief, you know, of Harry and Dumbledore's intelligence, complete psychopath, I think, (laughs) um, Harry and Hermione and Ron then decide to go to Hogwarts. Harry explains everything that he just saw, and they go to Hogsmeade first. They are surprised by this caterwauling charm. There are Dementors around, and Harry releases his Patronus. There are Death Eaters everywhere, and they can see that Harry must be nearby. The barman from the Hogshead then comes and helps them. He releases his Patronus and convinces the Death Eaters that it was just his goat they saw, not a stag. They're all inside the Hogshead, and Harry then realizes that it's Aberforth, Dumbledore's brother, and he had sent Dobby. Aberforth tries to convince Harry and them to leave, to run away, that he doesn't owe Albus anything, and that he should essentially save himself and leave all of this in the past. He then tells the story of what happened to Ariana, and how she was abused by three muggle boys, her magic turned inward, and she accidentally caused their mother's death, and things got worse um, after Grindelwald showed up and befriended Albus, um, and then they, you know, presumably got even closer after that. And there was an argument, and somehow Ariana died. Aberforth asks Harry if Albus loved, you know, the greater good more than him, and Harry doesn't believe that, and Hermione doesn't either, and nor do I. Like, I honestly do think that, yes, Dumbledore was for the greater good, but he absolutely loved Harry. And I know that it probably did tear him up inside thinking that he had to die in order for the world to be saved. But yeah, I I absolutely think that he absolutely loved him. Harry then um, mentions that even if he had told him to hide, he wouldn't have. Someone has to fight Voldemort, and Harry knows that there's a chance he might die in the end, but he's going to fight still. Aberforth sends off Ariana from her portrait, and after some time, Neville walks through the other side of the portrait from a tunnel. His face is completely beaten up. He explains the changes in Hogwarts and how they've been allowed to use the Cruciatus Curse, and he explains how his defiance gives others hope. And he explains how the Death Eaters tried to go after his grandma and that she bested them in the process and is on the run. They end up going through the tunnel and go to the room of requirement where all of the fellow Hogwarts rebels are. Harry then describes what they need to find from Ravenclaw 
And Cho offers to show him what, um, you know, this diadem that they had talked about looks like. But Ginny offers for Luna to show him instead because she's also a Ravenclaw. And I just thought, this is no time to be jealous. Girl, <laughs> this is no time to be jealous. There was never really a substantial relationship between Cho and Harry. Anyway, I don't think you are any threat of losing Harry. <laughs> I just, I thought it was silly, but so Luna and Harry go up to the Ravenclaw common room to find the diadem replica to see what it looks like. Um, but then they're caught by one of the Caros and she calls for Voldemort using her arm symbol. Luna stuns the Caro and McGonagall shows up with the other Caro. He spits in her face and Harry goes crazy. He gets from underneath his um, invisibility cloak and tortures him with a curse. And he explains to McGonagall what he needs to do. And she says that um, her and the other teachers will find a way to buy them time and keep them safe, you know, since Voldemort is coming. McGonagall tells all the students to evacuate, except for those who decide to stay and fight. Um, she does mention that they have to be of age, of course, because you know, duh. Um, but they all begin to cast, um, protection spells, including the one that brings statues to life. The order of the Phoenix shows up along with past students. Uh, Percy finally shows up and apologizes to his family for everything. And I think it's an absolute sweet moment to know that Percy is aware of the mistakes he made and, was very sorry. So then they all gather in the great hall and Voldemort speaks to them almost like a, I guess an intercom would, <laughs> but, um, he asks for Harry in return for their safety. Pansy from Slytherin almost gets beaten up for trying to, you know, say, Hey, let's just give him Harry and then we'll all be fine. But of course they're not going to do that. <laughs> Harry finds the ghost of Ravenclaw and she tells him about the diadem, um, about the mistakes that she made, how she pretty much betrayed her mother and all of, all of that jazz. Whew, it's a long story, but, um, yep. So she tells him about the diadem and where it is, where he can find it. And Harry then finds out that it's in the room of requirement and he finds Ron and Hermione who told him that they actually destroyed the cup Horcrux um, of Hufflepuff uh, in the Chamber of Secrets because there were, after all, basilisk fangs still down there. So then they go and to into the Room of Requirement to find the diadem. They also um, take a moment to talk about the house elves that are in the kitchen to you know evacuate. Ron pretty much says that you know they they're down there and we should tell them to leave. We shouldn't expect, you know, them to die for us. And this is the moment, finally, where Hermione embraces Ron and kisses him and they're making out for a second. <laughs> and I do understand the, I guess, the passionate, you know, reflex almost, but Harry pretty much asks the question that I thought of, which is, is this the moment, you know, there's a war going on here 
And Ron is, of course, like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But, you know, it's now or never. So very sweet. But yes, let's get a move on. There's a war going on. So they get to um, the room of requirement and they are then interrupted by Crab, Goyle, and Draco Malfoy. Malfoy, of course, is saying, you know, I want my wand back. Give it. And Harry says, uh, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. So, um, Draco tries to tell Crab and Goyle, you know, don't hurt him. He's for the Dark Lord. He wants him alive. And, uh, Crab pretty much tells Malfoy, like, I don't have to take orders from you anymore. You and your dad are finished. Blah, blah, blah. So, they pretty much start fighting and Harry saw Hermione dive, you know, aside because of the uh, killing curse that Crab had sent her way. And then people start running and he seemed to have no control. And out of nowhere, we start seeing a whole bunch of abnormally sized flames come towards them. And it had essentially been crab that had sent, I guess, fiendish fire is what it was called toward them. And flames of abnormal size were pursuing them. So they're running, there were flaming serpents and dragons and Harry then finds um, a pair of broomsticks for Ron and Harry uh, to start um, flying. And Hermione comes up behind uh, Ron on the same um, broomstick. So they start flying away, but then realize that Malfoy, Crab and Goyle need help. Um, Crab does not make it. He dies in the fire. And Ron, of course, is very upset. He does not want to help them. But I understand what Harry's talking about. It's not right. We should help him if we can. So Malfoy was screaming and holding Harry so tightly once they got onto the broomsticks. Um, but yeah, so Crab doesn't make it, but Goyle and Draco make it out okay. So um, Harry looks down to the diadem and realizes that it, it had completely fallen apart by this point and that Hermione lets them know that yes, it was Fiendfire that it, it's essentially cursed fire and that it was one of the ways that you can destroy horcruxes, but I would never have tried to use it because it's very dangerous. And so clearly it didn't help crab any. Oof. But, um, so there's a lot of fighting going on. Um, Death Eaters had penetrated Hogwarts at this point and are fighting all of these, I mean, mostly children. Like let's, Burial, mostly younger people getting attacked here. Um, but things get really stressful when they realize that um, Fred ends up dying during this, you know, battle. At seeing Fred's, you know, dead body, uh, Harry's mind was in free fall, spinning out of control unable to grasp the impossibility because Fred Weasley could not be dead. The evidence of all his senses must be lying. Harry then looks inside 
Voldemort's mind and Voldemort and his very strange thoughts to me, you know, his thoughts were, uh, the secret room, you know, only he had ever found like it's impossible. He was confident that the boy would not find the diadem. Although Dumbledore's puppet had come much farther than he had ever expected too far. So strange to think that Voldemort really thought like, wow, there's no way that the Potter boy is going to find out where I've kept the diadem. Impossible. So, um, Voldemort asks for Snape to come his way. And, um, Harry then, you know, goes back into his own, you know, self and, um, realizes that Voldemort is in the shaking shack. The snake's with him and it's got some sort of magical protection around it. And Hermione is completely angry as I would be and shocked because she says Voldemort's sitting in the shrieking shack. He's not even fighting. He doesn't think that he needs to fight, said Harry. He thinks I'm going to go to him. But what's crazy is, again, it's like you call yourself this big and bad, you know, but you're not you're not even in the fight. That's just so crazy. But um, Ron and Hermione pretty much tried to uh, stop him from going to the Shrieking Shack saying, you know, we can go with you. Like, we can go. It's fine. You know, I can kill the snake. No, I can kill the snake. You know, it'll be fine. And Harry says, no, you know, I, I can do it. So there's a moment when they're trying to get to um, the Shrieking Shack. Um, but a lot of stuff going on, of course. Um, Draco comes across some Death Eaters and says, Hey, I'm Draco Malfoy. You know, I'm on your side, whatever. Ron gets, of course, very frustrated and punches him in the face, which is great. It's the least you deserve, you know, since you're not going to die. I can punch you, I guess. Um, this next part, I still, I guess... I, I think about it in the sense of like, did this person die in the battle, you know, in the chaos or not? So Hermione shrieks and with a deafening blast from her wand, Fenrir Greyback was thrown backward from the feebly stirring body of Lavender Brown. He hit the marble banisters and struggled to return to his feet. So... I guess they kind of showed this in the movie as well. Like, did Lavender Brown die during the battle? I still kind of question this because I guess I was thinking that... I guess I was thinking that there was a way for her to be okay, but if she was bitten by Greyback, the least that she could do would be that she would be a werewolf, I guess. But, I don't know. Something to think about. Listen, Lavender Brown wasn't always my favorite character, but it's not right. It's just not right. So Voldemort is talking to Snape and they're talking about wands and things. And, uh, he's explaining how Ollivander had said that, you know, that there shouldn't be a reason why his wand wouldn't work. But Voldemort is saying that I feel no difference between this wand and the other one. And Snape is pretty much trying to, I don't know, console his master, I guess, saying, you know, he will come. Like, it'll happen. He will come to you and you will be able to kill him. Blah, 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 blah. But, um, yeah, so 
He then says that the Elder Wand cannot serve me properly, Severus, because I am not its true master. The Elder Wand belongs to the wizard who killed its last owner. You killed Albus Dumbledore while you live, Severus. The Elder Wand cannot be truly mine. So, a lot to think about here, but ultimately, Voldemort, you're wrong. I mean, you're just wrong. You're wrong. You've been wrong since Sorcerer's Stone. You've been wrong. You are wrong, wrong, wrong. So, uh, things don't go well for Snape. Uh, Voldemort instructs Nagini to kill him, um, which is horrible. I mean, when you think about the deaths as far as, like, Harry Potter goes, I mean, whew, Snape had a pretty gruesome death. He was pretty much attacked by the snake until he just couldn't take it anymore. And, ooh, pretty, pretty gruesome. But, um, uh, yeah, so the snake's fangs pierced his neck as he failed to push the enchanted cage off himself as his knees gave way and he fell to the floor. Um, and Voldemort then leaves and, um, Harry takes off the invisibility cloak and looks down upon the man he hated, whose widening black eyes found Harry as he tried to speak. Harry bent over him, and Snape seized the front of his robes and pulled him close. And he could see, you know, that there are some silvery blue, um, you know, leaking from Snape. And it had gushed from his mouth and his ears and his eyes, and Harry knew what it was, but did not know what to do. So he gets a flask and is able to put them inside, so that way he could take them and... Um, he pretty much knows what to do with them, but, um, Snape, you know, asks him to, you know, look at me and he's able to see, you know, the green eyes until he's completely gone. And there's a lot to Snape's character. Obviously he's not, he's not one of my favorites. Um, did he find redemption though? Yes, I would say so. Because of the fact that his goal was to protect Lily's child, did he do that? Yes, I believe so. I believe that he took a lot in in regards of pain and probably suffering to protect, you know, Harry. Even though, yes, every time he looked at him, it reminded him of James. And, ugh, just... Not not the best thing, of course, when you think about it. Snape is still not a great teacher. I don't think he should have been a teacher. Um, he probably could have been well to do somebody, you know, working at the ministry maybe, or I don't know. Just not a good teacher. So, um, Voldemort makes another announcement, reverberating off of the walls and floors and things, and Harry realized that he was talking to Hogwarts and to all the surrounding area. So, very powerful as far as like getting announcements out, but yep. So he tells everyone you have fought valiantly. If you continue to resist me, you will all die one by one. I do not wish this to happen. Every drop of magical blood spilled is a loss and a waste. I command my forces to retreat. You have one hour dispose of your dead with dignity. I speak now, Harry Potter directly to you. You have permitted your friends to die for you, rather than face me yourself. I shall wait for one hour in the Forbidden Forest. If at the end of that hour you have not come to me, have not given 
yourself up. The battle will continue. This time I shall enter the fray myself and I shall find you and I shall punish every last man, woman, and child who has tried to conceal you from me one hour. Voldemort out. (laughs) So not the nicest of words, but I guess he's being clear. Yeah, one hour. Get it together. Ugh, but I just, I think it's so wild for him to say, you have allowed your friends to die for you. Uh, no, I haven't actually. I've been trying to fight, you know, myself. So, what shit up? Harry then comes across, of course, the wounded and the dead, and is heartbroken to find that more of the people that he cared about have passed. Um, specifically Remus and Tonks, along with Fred, um, and he could not draw breath. And he could not draw breath. He could not bear to look at any of the other bodies. He wished he could rip out his heart, his innards, everything that was screaming inside him. And he was just in complete pain. Like, just, he could not believe that he has lost even more people to fighting Voldemort. And it's, it is distressful. It's, it's distressing to think that this kid has had to see so much death just to survive. It's horrible. He then goes to the Pensieve and puts, um, Snape's drops, I guess, uh, into it. And he's able to see memories from his life. And it starts with his youth his childhood, and he sees a young Lily and a young Aunt Petunia um, playing together, and um, they're essentially playing together, and Lily does some magic, and Petunia, of course, is, is not happy about this. And then another boy shows up, then a boy shows up, and Petunia yells at him, saying, you know, I know who you are, you're that Snape boy. They live down at Spinner's End by the river. <sighs> they then start talking about Hogwarts, and Snape talks about, you know, it's real, but it's only real for us, not for Petunia, and um, we'll definitely get a letter, you know, you and me, but she won't. And of course, this is upsetting to Petunia. Um, Lily asks Snape, how are things at your house? Um, Snape says they're fine, you know, um, Lily asks, you know, are they fighting anymore? Like, are they still arguing? And Snape says, yeah, they're still arguing. Um, but it won't be that long, you know, I'll, I'll be gone by then. And, uh, Lily asks Snape, does your dad like magic? And Snape answers, he doesn't like anything much. So we can infer from that, you know, conversation that Snape probably does have an abusive father in his home, um, which would explain probably the beginnings of why he is so resentful towards others. It then goes into another memory where Petunia is calling Lily a freak, and um, Lily, of course, says, you know, that's a horrible thing to say. I, I don't know why you would say that, and I don't even know why you would say that the school that I'm going to is stupid because you had actually wrote to the headmaster and begged him to take you. And Petunia, of course, is embarrassed and says, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. 
Um, so then another memory goes in and, um, they're at Hogwarts and, um, Lily talks about how Petunia hates her and Snape, of course, is not necessarily moved by that. He says, so what? And Lily says, you know, she's my sister. Like, I still have to care about her. We then fast forward to another memory where Snape and Lily are talking about, you know, how ever since that they've been separated between Slytherin and Gryffindor, things have not been the same. And uh, Lily talks to Snape specifically about, you know, your friends are kind of scary. Like, I don't like some of the people you've been hanging around. I detest Avery and Mulkiver. Um, What do you see in him? He's creepy. Do you know what he tried to do to Mary MacDonald the other day? So they're having already differences in their, you know, friend groups because of the separation of houses. And I guess that kind of does, it does make me think about the separation sometimes not being necessarily a good thing, but bad. Um, But I think it also could be the fact that perhaps the author could have done a better job about making things a little bit more fair in regards to... um, Hufflepuff and Slytherin. Slytherin certainly gets this notion of being all bad, which I've definitely had experiences where I've had to talk to some people, talking to some of my friends who are Slytherins, and they get these weird, like, conversations of, like, oh, you're obviously evil if you're going to be in Slytherin, and then Hufflepuff just not really being represented at all. Like, the only thing we could say is, obviously, we get Cedric Diggory, you know, being a Hufflepuff. But... Uh, anyway, so back to the book. Um, there's more to be said about Snape's memories here and how Snape really ruined the friendship that he had with Lily because he called her a mudblood. And it uh, it was awful and unnecessary. And Lily pretty much says, you know, it's too late. I've made excuses for you for years. None of my friends can understand why I even talk to you. You and your precious little Death Eater friends, you don't even deny that that's what they're calling themselves and you can't wait to join you know who and I can't pretend anymore. You know, you've chosen your way and I've chosen mine and uh, it's hard to think like, man, if only Snape could have been a little bit more forthcoming about what he felt Maybe they could have still been friends. You know, I don't know. But um, we go to another memory where Snape is talking to Dumbledore. And um, Dumbledore asks, you know, what what do you want? What are you here for? What message, you know, are you talking about today? And um, Snape says, "It's it's no message. I'm here for my own account. And I come with a warning, a request you know, the prophecy that the Dark Lord has been talking about, you know, believes that it's about, you know, a baby born at the end of July. And, you know, he thinks that it means her son. So I I need them to be okay. Like, please protect them. Like, please hide them. And Dumbledore asks, what will you give me in return? And Snape says anything. Like, I'll give you anything you want. Just help protect them. Then we go to another memory where uh, Lily and James, of course, do not survive. And Dumbledore lets him know that it was due to them relying on the wrong person. And that the details were given away to Voldemort. 
and um, her son is alive and he is to be protected. And Snape disagrees. Snape pretty much says, like, why would he need protection if the Dark Lord has gone? Dumbledore lets him know that the Dark Lord will return and Harry Potter will be in terrible danger when he does. So I'm asking you to continue to protect him. Like, please protect him. And Severus, of course, accepts this, even though he just doesn't, he can't stand Harry. Says that he's mediocre, arrogant, same as his father. And I just, you know, I, I completely understand why he's mad. I just don't agree that he should be acting this way towards a child, regardless of what happened between mom and dad. The kid has nothing to do with this. So then we fast forward to another memory where um, Dumbledore has completely damaged his hand and Snape asks him, why did you put on that ring? It carries a curse. Surely you realize that. Why did you even touch it? And Dumbledore grimaces and says, I was a fool. I was tempted. That ring carried a curse of extraordinary power, said Snape. To contain it is all we can hope for. I have trapped the curse in one hand for the time being. Dumbledore asks, how long do you think I have? Snape says that it will spread eventually. And it is the sort of curse that strengthens over time. Dumbledore understands. And the news that he had less than a year to live seemed a matter of little or no concern to him. Um, I guess I wish I could be as nonchalant as Dumbledore when death is knocking on my door. But um, yeah, he pretty much says like, all right, I guess, you know, this is what it is. And they continue talking about um, Malfoy and how his... Um, plan has become to kill him, of course, and how he instructs Snape, you have to be the one to kill me. And Snape, of course, is appalled by this, and, um, but he accepts. Then another memory where Dumbledore and Snape are continuing to talk some more about Harry and, um, the information that he needs to know. And... So Dumbledore then says to Snape that Harry must not know, not until the last moment, not until it is necessary, otherwise how could he have the strength to do what must be done? Snape says, what must be done? Dumbledore says that it is between Harry and me. Now listen closely. There will come a time after my death, there will come a time when Lord Voldemort will seem to fear for the life of his snake. It will be safe to tell Harry then. To tell him that on the night Lord Voldemort tried to kill him when Lily cast her own life between them as a shield, the killing curse, rebounded, and a fragment of Voldemort's soul was blasted apart from the hole, and it latched on to Harry. Part of Lord Voldemort lives inside him, and it is what gives him the power to speak with snakes and a connection with his mind that he has never understood. And while the fragment of soul, you know, unmissed by Voldemort, remains attached to and protected by Harry, Lord Voldemort cannot die. So Snape says, the boy must die. And Voldemort himself must do it. That is essential, said Dumbledore. We have protected him because it had been essential to teach him, to raise him, 
and Snape is pretty much horrified saying you've kept him alive so that he could die at the right moment. He says, I've spied for you and lied for you, put myself in mortal danger for you. Everything was supposed to be to keep Lily Potter's son safe. Now you tell me that you have been raising him like a pig for slaughter. Which is horrible to think about. And Dumbledore says, you know, don't tell me that you've actually grown to care for him. And Snape, of course, is like, for him? What are you talking about? And he shows his Patronus, and it's a doe, similar to Lily. And that his feelings for her have never changed since, you know, he's been alive. And Snape is also shown to be in Sirius's room at one point with tears in his eyes and specifically reading a portion of a letter from Lily to him, you know, talking about, you know, Dumbledore and obviously the love that Snape had for Lily obviously was true, but it doesn't take away from the fact that Snape made some terrible, horrible mistakes. But I do think that he more than redeems himself by keeping Harry alive and helping him throughout the way. Because it was him that had sent the dough and had put the sword of Gryffindor where he could find it. Finally, the truth. Lying with his face pressed into the dusty carpet of the office where he had once thought he was learning the secrets of victory, Harry understood at last that he was not supposed to survive. Neither would live, neither could survive. His will to live had always been so much stronger than his fear of death, yet it did not occur to him now to try to escape, to outrun Voldemort. This cold-blooded walk to his own destruction would require a different kind of bravery. And he then is pretty much walking, and he runs into Neville and pretty much asks Neville, like, you know, you... You need to do something for me. If Ron and Hermione are unable to do it, I need you to kill the huge snake that Voldemort has. And Neville agrees, and he continues on his walk to the forest. He wanted Ginny to know... He starts thinking about Ginny, and he wanted Ginny to know that he was there, you know, about to leave. Um, so he continues on his walk... And he looks upon his snitch and reads, I open at the close, and pretty much starts thinking, like, well, I'm, I'm about to die. Like, I'm ready to die. And that's when the resurrection stone comes out of the snitch. And he brings back his loved ones from the grave. We get James, Sirius, Lupin, and Lily in their ghostly, ghost, ghostish form. And they definitely look at Harry with a sense of pride. And of course, Harry is completely sad to think that these people are gone because of him. So he says, you know, I didn't, I didn't want you to die. Any of you, I'm sorry. And Ramus, he felt especially bad for considering that he had just given 
you know, he had just gotten his son and he's gone. And Lupin says, I'm sorry too. I will never know him, but he will know why I died and I hope he will understand. I was trying to make a world in which he could live a happier life. And he looks at all of them and, you know, asks them that you'll stay with me and and they won't be able to see you. And so he continues his walk. There were clearly Dementors around, but the Dementors' chill did not overcome him. He passed through it with his companions, and it was almost as if they were like Patronuses to him. Their presence was his courage, and the reason he was able to keep putting one foot in front of the other. He is still underneath his invisibility cloak, of course, at this time, until he gets, you know, close to Voldemort. And, uh... Voldemort is thinking, you know, I expected him to come. I don't know why he's not here. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And Harry does eventually take off his cloak and he throws the um, resurrection stone somewhere in the forest where it can never be found again. And um, yeah, so he shows himself to Voldemort, says, I'm here. I'm here. What do you want? I'm here. Um, Voldemort kills Harry and then his he his mind completely goes blank. But he then wakes up, sort of, you know, face down in this big old space um, that we can kind of agree is pretty much King's Cross, but cleaner and without trains. Um, Harry then notices that he's naked, um, but as soon as he starts wishing for clothes, he finds some clothes. And they were soft, clean, and warm. And then he had spotted something that was making these noises and it looked like a small naked child curled on the ground, its skin raw and rough, flayed looking, and it lay shuddering under a seat where it had been left unwanted, stuffed out of the sight, uh, struggling for breath. And Albus Dumbledore shows up saying, you know, you cannot help. You are so brave, Harry, and, um, but you can't help that thing that's under there and so Harry thinks like am I dead or like I don't understand it's like I should have died um I didn't defend myself um and you know Voldemort killed me and Dumbledore says well that's why you know it made all the difference and that's why you're here your soul is whole and completely your own Harry your connection with Voldemort was pretty much separated by Voldemort himself just now you were the seventh Horcrux, the Horcrux he never meant to make. He had rendered by his soul so unstable. He left more than his body behind. He left part of himself latched to you, that the would-be victim who had survived. Which Voldemort does not value. He takes no trouble to comprehend. He took your blood, believing it would strengthen him. He took into his body a tiny part of the enchantment your mother laid upon you when she died for you. Here is what I think happened as far as wands go. Um, Without meaning to, you know that Lord Voldemort doubled the bond between you when he returned to human form and a part of his soul was still attached to yours. If he could only have understood the precise and terrible power of that sacrifice, he would not perhaps have dared to touch your blood. Having ensured this twofold connection, having wrapped your destinies together, 
Voldemort proceeded to attack you with a wand that shared a core with yours. He was more afraid than you were that night. You had accepted, even embraced, the possibility of death. Your courage won. Your wand overpowered his. I believe that your wand imbibed some of the power and qualities of Voldemort's wand that night. So your wand recognized him when he pursued you, recognized a man who was both kin and mortal enemy, and it regurgitated some of his own magic against him. Dumbledore then talks about his family, saying that he loved his parents and he loved his brother and sister, but he was selfish and more selfish than Harry could imagine, and that he definitely learned his lesson when he had been, you know, somewhat a part of his sister's death. Um, and being friends with Grindelwald was definitely a mistake. He then tells Harry to not pity the dead, pity the living, and above all those who live without love. By returning, you may ensure that fewer souls are maimed, fewer families are torn apart. If that seems to you a worthy goal, then we say goodbye for the present. And Harry then asks, you know, is this all real or is it happening inside my head? Dumbledore then says, it is happening inside your head, but why on earth does that mean that it's not real? So Harry then again wakes up, not really stirring though, because he knows that he's supposed to play dead. Um, the smell of the forest filled his nostrils. Uh, Voldemort seemed to be getting on his feet as well, since um, he had pretty much been also taken aback by that curse. Um, he tells somebody to examine Harry's body to see if he's alive. And it ends up being Narcissa Malfoy who goes and checks on him to see if he's dead. Um, she could obviously feel his heart beating still. But um, she asks him, you know, is Draco alive? Is he in the castle? And Harry just says one word, yes. And so Narcissa then says, he's dead. I got it. I called it. He's dead. Uh, Narcissa then pretty much realizes that this is the only way to get back into Hogwarts to be able to find, you know, Draco, because I do believe that at this point she's probably so over Voldemort and his shenanigans that she probably doesn't care. But, um, yep, so, um, Voldemort instructs Hagrid to carry his body and to have his glasses put back on his face. Um, there is a moment, of course, where, um, he, he, he curses Harry's, quote, dead body um, with the uh, torture curse, the Cruciatus curse. And of course, Harry has to pretend that um, it doesn't hurt him. But what's interesting is that the pain that he had expected from that curse actually didn't come. It was um, very interesting. Um, and I think it could have been, again, because he had sacrificed himself for his friends. Maybe it provided him with that protection. But, um, yeah, so Hagrid is carrying Harry's body. And uh, Voldemort takes uh, himself and all of his Death Eater buddies back to the castle saying, Hey, Harry Potter's dead. He was killed as he ran away. He tried to save himself while you lay down your lives for him. We bring you his body as proof that your hero is 
gone and the battle is over. You've lost. My Death Eaters outnumber you and the boy who lived is finished. Anyone who continues to resist, you know, anyone who continues to resist will have to deal with me. Blah, 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 blah. There was silence in the grounds and from the castle. And of course, people are completely distraught. They're absolutely so sad to think that Harry's completely gone. And Voldemort continues, says that he was nothing but a boy who relied on others to sacrifice themselves for him. Which, of course, people know that that's not true. People know that Harry would not run away. He literally went into the forest to face you. Why would he go to the forest to then run away? Like, I just... Whatever, Voldemort. You know, saying, like, he was killed to... He was killed trying to save himself. Blah, 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 blah. Um, Neville pretty much comes up and says, Hey, you know, whatever. We're still gonna continue to fight you. Blah, 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 blah. I'll join you when hell freezes over. <laughs> That's what Neville says. And, um... Voldemort says, uh, here's what's going to change about Hogwarts. There will be no more sorting. There will simply be the Slytherin house. Boom. Um, and he says that, um, Neville here is now going to demonstrate what happens to anyone foolish enough to continue to oppose me. And he caused the sorting hat to burst into flames. There were screams everywhere and Neville was aflame rooted to the spot and able to move and then Harry could not bear it anymore he must act and everything just started to happen so fast Harry completely comes up and um pulled the invisibility the invisibility cloak back onto himself swung it over himself and um strength to his feet uh, as Neville moved as well um Neville broke free of the body bind curse upon him the flaming hat fell off him and he drew from its depths something silver with a glittering ruby handle and it was clear that it was the sword of Gryffindor. With a single stroke, Neville slices off the great snake's head. I mean, poor Nagini, I guess. I mean, ugh. when you think about like the fantastic beasts of it, I'm very curious to see how Nagini just became so evil, I guess. I don't know. But we'll see. But, um, yep, so no more Nagini. Nagini is dead. And Voldemort's mouth is completely agape with shock. And he screams with fury that, um, everybody's just, everybody's just kind of scrambling at this point. Um, the charging centaurs were scattered. Uh, Thestrals were everywhere. Uh, Buckbeak, the hippogriff, starts scratching towards, you know, these, you know, Death Eaters, and it's awesome. It's fantastic. There are house elves uh, in Hogwarts uh, swarming as well, joining the fight. Um, they're led by a creature who starts shouting, you know, it's time to fight for my master, defender of house elves, fight the Dark Lord in the name of Brave Regulus. Let's fight. And um, I just, I love this. Absolutely love it. Um, Voldemort was then dueling McGonagall, Slughorn, and Kingsley all at the same time. Uh, Bellatrix was also fighting um, Hermione, Ginny, and Luna. And um, this is where we see Mrs. Weasley come into the fold and says, Uh-uh, not my daughter. Get out of my way. Uh, there's a swear in the book that I never thought I would read. 
Um, but pretty much like Mrs. Weasley goes all B.A. and says, not on my watch. You will never touch our children again. And um, yeah, so she uh, she destroys Bellatrix Lestrange. <laughs> And Voldemort, of course, is completely shocked because, of course, he didn't want to lose Bellatrix. That was his, like, best captain or whatever. <laughs> Harry then pulls himself free of the invisibility cloak to say, hey, I'm here. Bam. I'm alive. I don't want anyone else to try to help me. I got this. It's got to be like this. It's got to be me. That isn't how it works, is it? Who are you going to use as a shield today, Potter? Nobody, said Harry. There are no more Horcruxes, just you and me. Neither can live while the other survives, and one of us is about to leave for good. You think it will be you, do you? The boy who has survived by accident, and because Dumbledore was pulling the strings? Accident, said Harry. Accident, when I decided to fight in that graveyard? accident that I didn't defend myself tonight and still survived and returned to fight again I just love all of these truths coming forward like you think that all of this was by accident you think that I just happened to survive nah it was meant to be it was meant to be my mother sacrificed herself for me that love created a protection and the fact that I sacrificed myself for others is also a form of protection so booyah what you want to do and uh, Voldemort then says I brought about the death of Albus Dumbledore Harry says nope you thought you did you were wrong um Snape killed Snape killed Dumbledore only because Dumbledore asked him to basically saying all of the truths that we know are true and pretty much that you suck like, you suck, Voldemort, you suck. And we're going to continue to fight, even if nothing ends today. But, you know, it's going to end. Like, he he makes it known that you are not going to make it out of this place alive, Voldemort. It's your one last chance, said Harry. It's all you've got left. I've seen what you'll be otherwise. So you can either lay down your wand, or I will kill you. I've seen what you become. That little ball of nothing. Which, they do a good job of showing it in the movie. It's gross. Seeing that little rolled up Voldemort. Blech, nasty. So they continue fighting. They do one last, you know, fight moment. Voldemort does the Avada Kedavra. Uh, Harry does Expelliarmus. Harry, with the unerring skill of the Seeker, caught the wand in his free hand as Voldemort fell backward. Arms splayed. The slit pupils of the scarlet eyes rolled upward. Tom Riddle hit the floor with a mundane finality, his body feeble and shrunken, the white hands empty, the snake-like face vacant and unknowing. Voldemort was dead. Killed by his own rebounding curse, and Harry stood with two wands in his hand staring down at his enemy's shell. Which I think is a very good uh, way to describe. You know, he's a shell of a person. He was a shell of a man, shell of a wizard. Yes, he had a lot of power, but what soul do you have if it's split into seven pieces? Woo! Just horrible, horrible. So, the innocent of Azkaban were going to be released, 
um, Kingsley is then um, named temporary minister of magic, which I'm sure would have ultimately turned into a permanent job because I could see Kingsley being a really, really good um, minister of magic. Uh, Peeves is uh, seen zooming around the castle again, saying, we did it. We want... <laughs> We did it. We bashed them. We, Potter's the one, and Voldy's gone moldy, so now let's have fun. So I'm like, yeah, that's right. See, even Peeves probably joined the fight somewhere. Being a Poldrick heist, you know, he can't die. <laughs> uh, uh, Harry then tells Ron and Hermione what he had seen in the Pensieve and what happened in the forest, uh, essentially confirming again that, hey, I did not run away. I gave myself up to Voldemort, and this is what happened, okay? Uh, Phineas Nigellus then, uh, calls, um, out, um, in the, uh, in the headmaster's office, you know, hey, let it be noted that Slytherin House did play its part, let our contribution not be forgotten, which is true, because, yes, Slughorn was out there fighting the good fight, and, um, and Harry's still holding the Elder Wand, and, um, talks to Ron and Hermione about it, saying, you know, I don't want it. Ron, of course, is like, what are you talking about? Come on. This is like the Elder Ones. Pretty big deal. But instead, Harry pulls out his uh, pieces of his old wand and uses the Elder Wand to fix it. And I would have loved this, at least this, if there's one scene that I could have changed in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, I would have at least done that. Please. That would have been so great to have Harry have his old wand fixed by the Elder Wand. Oh, so good. But yes, yeah, so he fixes his wand and then puts um, the Elder Wand back with Dumbledore because it belonged to him. So he, he decides to, you know, put it back in his uh, grave. But... Um, yeah, so at this point, the fight is over, and um, we forward to the epilogue, where it's 19 years later, and it is Ron, Hermione, and Harry trying to send their kids off to Hogwarts. And of course, it is a sweet moment thinking about, you know, hey, what would it be like to see Harry, Ron, and Hermione as parents? Um, I think that they probably would be a good job. Um, I would say that... Um, Harry probably still has a lot of healing to do after all of the crazy stuff that he's gone through. So hopefully he's going to, you know, some sort of therapy. But um, yeah, so they send off their kids to uh, Hogwarts and they even see Draco Malfoy and his son Scorpius, which I'm sure I will get into at some point once I read uh, The Cursed Child, which um, I do plan on doing an episode about this. So, you know, here's hoping. But, um, yeah, so, uh, Ron is a little, um, I guess kind of annoying when he tries to pit, uh, his daughter against the Malfoy boy already, but, uh, oh, so, so silly. But anyway, um, Harry's son, Albus, um, gets a little nervous about, like, the sorting process and, like, what, what happens if I'm not going to be in Gryffindor? Like, what happens if I'm in Slytherin? And... Harry explains that he did know, um, the headmaster who was a Slytherin at Hogwarts and who was one of the bravest people that he'd ever met. And that if you really don't want to be in Slytherin, you can ask the Sorting Hat 
and that it can consider your thoughts on where you would want to go. And I do think that when you think about that, there is something to be said about, yes, maybe you are meant to be in a certain house, but maybe you can kind of influence the hat to be like, hey, I, I would rather be in this house. I think there's something powerful about that because choice is important not to just be placed somewhere just because of uh, the way your brain is, I guess. <laughs> but um, Ginny assures Harry that, you know, he'll be all right. And uh, Harry says, yeah, I know you well. And he touches the lightning scar on his forehead and notices that uh, the scar has not pained him for 19 years and all was well. And that's the end of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. What a ride. What a ride. Um, I really don't know if I will or won't do a podcast episode on The Cursed Child only because I'm a little nervous. Ooh, I'm a little nervous. <sighs> but maybe instead of a full recap, I'll, I'll just do my thoughts and opinions favorite moments and um, not so favorite moments. So we'll see. But um, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, it's a long one. But um, yes, as far as series goes, uh, my favorite series is Harry Potter. So, so much. It's it's in my heart. It's, in, it's a very big part of my life. Um, the books as well as the movies. And um, yeah, so that ends this episode. Uh, social media is at belovedbooks1 on Twitter and belovedbooks2 on Instagram. My email is belovedbookspod at gmail.com. And I will close with lasting words. And today's lasting words comes from Dobby, the house elf, um, from Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. If Harry Potter knew what he means to us, to the lowly, the enslaved, we dregs of the magical world. Dobby remembers how I was when he who must not be named was at the height of his power, sir. We house elves were treated like vermin, sir. Of course Dobby is still treated like that. But mostly, sir, life has improved. Harry Potter survived, and the Dark Lord's power was broken, and it was a new dawn. And Harry Potter shone like a beacon of hope for those of us who thought the dark days would never end. And now at Hogwarts, Terrible things are going to happen, and Dobby cannot let Harry Potter stay here, now that the history is to repeat itself, now that the Chamber of Secrets is open once more. Long live Dobby. Long live Dobby. Dobby forever.